Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So Acts 15, 1 to 21. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider the question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles should hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul, telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Thanks, Emily. Let me pray, and Jez is going to come and preach, so you can come up, brother. Father, we just uh, sang, your spirit is water to our souls, and we pray that your word would be food to our souls now. So give us ears to hear, and be with our our brother Jez as he preaches to us. Amen. There we go. There are difficult things happening in the world this week, aren't there? There's the appalling unfolding tragedy in Ukraine. There's the unbelievable attack on a primary school in Texas. If you've read the news in Ireland this weekend, you'll see that there are now more than 10,000 people homeless in this country. There are awful things happening in the world, aren't there? Things that make us sad, things that rightly make us say, this isn't how it's meant to be. This isn't how it's meant to be. And as we read the Bible, we begin to understand something of why the world is the way that it is. We begin to understand we're in a world where all of us have turned away from God. We've all rebelled against him. We all, as the Bible puts it, like sheep have gone astray and turned each of us 
to our own way. So appalling tragedies happen around the world, and the heart of the problem, as the old saying goes, is the problem of the human heart. And if you look in your own heart, I think you begin to understand something of that. And so as we look around the world, we see a great need, don't we? A great need for people to be reconciled to God and reconciled to one another as well. And wonderfully, as we read the Bible, we begin to understand something of God's plan to put things right, to transform hearts of stone into hearts of flesh in the Bible's image, to cause people to be born again, born so that they can love God and love one another, spiritually reborn. And we see on the pages of the Bible again and again how this work of God's forgiveness, transformation, reconciliation isn't something that people strive for and earn through some kind of huge effort, but it's something that God does for people, something he offers freely to all who will accept it. I wonder if you're aware of that need this afternoon, aware of the need for your heart to be reconciled to God and reconciled to other people as well. As we've been reading from the book of Acts and hearing it preached over the last few weeks, we've been encountering, haven't we, that good news of Jesus, that good news of reconciliation and transformation, making an impact first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, Samaria, and increasingly to the ends of the earth. So Acts is a story of the spread of the good news, isn't it? And it's a story of inclusion of women, men, of Jews and Gentiles, of slave and free, of rich and poor, of young and old, all being brought into the family of God, all made one in Christ Jesus. That message of things being put right, beginning to ripple out and have a big impact across the whole world. But in Acts 15, the passage that we're reading today, we see that under threat. We see a new teaching come into the church which has the potential to unravel and derail everything. There was trouble brewing. And maybe you've been in a church in the past where there's trouble brewing and you know a little bit of how unsettling that must have felt to the church in Antioch. So we're, we're in Antioch, as verse 1 says, and let's just set the scene a little bit. This is a, a town that's uh, uh, in present-day Turkey, just the south tip of Turkey near the northern border of Syria, and it's a town that was reached by people who were scattered by a persecution in Jerusalem that broke out after Stephen was stoned. So people had uh, fled from Jerusalem, they'd ended up in Antioch, they'd told the good news of Jesus there. Jews and Greeks had been converted, God's hand had been at work, a church had been born, and it had been a time of great blessing. And as we heard last week from Steve, it was the church in Antioch that sent out Paul and Barnabas on their first great missionary journey. And it was to the church in Antioch that Paul and Barnabas returned just before the beginning of chapter 15. So that's the context. There's blessing, but there's trouble brewing. So look down at verse 1, and you'll see what that trouble is. Verse 1 says that some people have come into the church. Some men have come down from Judea, and they've begun to say, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. What was the meaning of that? Well, circumcision really stood for the whole package of Old Testament law. The pro-circumcision party were saying that, you know, it's good to trust in Jesus, but you need something else. It's good to trust in Jesus, but you need to follow the Old Testament law as well. 
circumcision, temple worship, observing the Sabbath, observing all of the various festivals, uh, observing all of the food laws. That's what you really need to be saved, to be a proper Christian, to be properly included in the family of God. And as we see in verse 2, Paul and Barnabas immediately stand against this, don't they? There's a sharp dispute, and isn't it good when people immediately spot a problem and address it and stand for truth? And I hope in our day we're people who stand for truth as well. Paul and Barnabas challenge this teaching. However, the church in Antioch, they can't address it immediately, so it's referred to this council in Jerusalem, this gathering of the apostles and the elders for them to consider the matter, to adjudicate on it. And as we'll see, the apostles and elders in Jerusalem strongly reject this idea that it's Jesus plus circumcision that you really need. They strongly reject it. So have a look down first at verses 7 to 11, and you'll see it's the apostle Peter, Jesus' disciple, the uh, strong-headed fisherman who we've come to know throughout the Bible, who speaks first. And you'll remember from the last few weeks that Peter's been on a journey, hasn't he, to see how God's plan has been bigger than what he originally thought, how God has wanted to include the Gentiles in his community. You remember Peter had this great vision of the animals being lowered from heaven, the clean and unclean animals, and him being told to get up and kill and eat. He's begun to understand that that this new community of faith is moving beyond what God had been doing before. It was being expressed in a new way, and it was including the Gentiles in a far more comprehensive way than before. So that's his background, and then he makes a few strong points if you glance down at verses 7 to 11. He points out that God has already caused the Gentiles to believe. He's purified their hearts. He's given them the Holy Spirit, and he hasn't made any distinction between Jews and Gentiles. In other words, he hasn't said, you Jewish believers, you're obeying the law, so you can have the Spirit, you can be saved, but you Gentiles, you're outside, so you're not having the Spirit, you can't be saved. No, Peter's saying God has poured out his Spirit and purified the hearts of Jews and Gentiles, people who observe the law and people who don't. And then in light of all of that, he says in verse 10, look down at it, let's not put this burden of the law on the Gentiles. Let's let's not say they need to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses. This has been intolerable for us in the past, and we shouldn't put it on their necks now either. And then he concludes it all in verse 11, where he says, we believe it is through the grace of the Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. And maybe you uh, slightly think that the Bible teaches that salvation uh, comes about when we do a long list of things to impress God, a long list of religious acts, And that's really what the pro-circumcision party were trying to say. Believe in Jesus, but do X, Y, Z, law of Moses as well, to really be right with him. But no, Peter says, to be a follower of Jesus is to be saved by grace, by God's undeserved kindness, not because of what you have done or I have done, but because of what Christ has done. It's all because of God's amazing grace. That's how God has already been at work amongst the Gentiles. That's how it should continue to be. That's what Peter is saying. Then James, the brother, the earthly brother of Jesus, gets up last, and he affirms what Peter has said, and then he points also, I think, this would have been a persuasive argument, to the Old Testament. He says God has always wanted it to be this way. He could have pointed at lots of different parts of the Old Testament. He chooses the prophet Amos, and if you look at verses 16 to 18, you'll see a quote from the prophet Amos, where 
Amos is talking about God's plan to include the Gentiles in his restored community. And so James is saying, actually, this has been God's plan all along. And he brings it all together in this conclusion in verse 19, where he says, it's my judgment, therefore, we shouldn't make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And what does that mean? Well, I think that statement and what has come before makes the council's position very clear. The Gentile background believers don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to follow the law of Moses. They don't need that burden placed upon their necks. They're saved by grace, which they accept by faith, just as the rest of us are. The council do say some other things, some things which are a bit tricky to understand, which we'll come on into a moment. But for now, the main point they affirm is that salvation is by faith in Christ and not by obeying the law. And this was a crucial affirmation. And actually, if you think about it, this could have been a real turning point for the church if the apostles and elders had said, actually, yeah, we think these pro-circumcision people are onto something, then the shape of the whole church would have been very, very different. But no, thanks be to God, they affirm salvation is by God's grace. It's accepted through faith. And lots of people, just out of interest, look at Acts 15 as a consequence, as a kind of turning point in the book, as a very significant moment which affirms the course of the church. And what does it mean for us, this interesting debate? Does it have more relevance to us than a Nefit discussion or the Situation Room? Well, I think it does have uh, a lot of relevance to us. Firstly, you might be here and perhaps you've never put your trust in Christ at all. You're looking in from the outside, as it were. And if that's you, I hope you've heard something of the gospel, the good news of Jesus today, that although the world is broken, and although our hearts, if we're honest, are broken, that God has made a way for things to be put right, for our relationship with God to be put right, for our relationship with other people to be put right. And the good news as well, that this isn't something that we have to earn through circumcision, following the law of Moses, or any other thing that we do ourselves, but this is something that God offers freely, that can be accepted freely. So if you're on the outside, you haven't put your trust in Jesus, the invitation today is to do that, to come, to accept what God has done for you, to consider that seriously. But for the rest of us, for those who are already following Jesus, I think the big takeaway from the passage so far is this. Hold on to the gospel of grace. Hold on to the gospel of of grace. And really by that, I mean we shouldn't let the gospel become Jesus plus something else. That's what the whole council had been affirming up to here. They said the gospel shouldn't be Jesus plus circumcision. And for us, the gospel mustn't be Jesus plus something else. And I think many of us do trust in Christ, but in reality, we do make the gospel Jesus plus something else. Maybe you trust in Jesus, but you feel uncertain before God because of some sin in your past. You believe Jesus died for you, you've trusted in him, but there's something that's happened in the past that is haunting you in some way and making you feel really uncertain before God. And in a sense, what you're doing is you're saying, I need Jesus plus a good moral track record. I need Jesus plus a good moral track record to be right with God. And actually, I can really identify with that because I think I've had some of that thinking in my mind in the past. I felt very convicted about sins in my past 
And I felt somehow uncertain before God as a consequence of that. But in a way, God has used that as a blessing in my life as I've journeyed with that in the last couple of years. Because as I've felt convicted about things in the past, it's helped me to understand, yes, I am a sinner. Yes, I am a sinner. Yeah, I need a savior. I can't do it myself. I can't make myself good enough for God. I don't have a perfect record to offer to God to say, that's why I should be saved. I need another one. I need Christ who lived for me, who died for me. And in a way, I think if you're burdened by sins from your past, I hope God can use that as a great blessing in your life to help you on an emotional level to encounter with the reality that, yeah, you are a sinner and you do need a savior. Because I think lots of us, and I don't know, maybe this is particularly true for people who've grown up in the church or been in Christian families, you somehow have a bit of a Pharisee mentality that develops where you think, yeah, I believe in theory Jesus died for me, but, you know, I've been pretty good as well. I have a pretty good record, and I kind of put confidence in that as well. And that is unbiblical thinking, and that is anti-gospel thinking. What we have is a savior who's done everything for us. We shouldn't put any confidence in ourselves. We should put all of our confidence in him. I, you might know I, I love old hymns, and there's a wonderful hymn by a writer called A.M. Top Lady called Rock of Ages, and he has this wonderful verse in the hymn Rock of Ages where he says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your cross I cling, naked come to you for dress, helpless look to you for grace, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me saviour or I die. We have a wonderful saviour, let's not put our confidence in ourselves. Let's put our confidence in him. Or maybe, maybe you're uh, a little bit uncertain before God because you trust in Christ, but you've been maybe neglecting the means of grace God has given you. You've been neglecting prayer, reading the Bible, coming to church, serving in the church. Or maybe there's some current moral compromise in your life, some kind of sexual sin or... You've given yourself to materialism, covetousness, drunkenness, gluttony, maybe to wasting your life on trivial things rather than investing your one God-given life in things that really count. And maybe because of that, you also feel a bit uncertain before God. Well, hold on to the gospel. Hold on to the gospel. For you, if you're trusting in Christ, God looks at Christ and his record and not you and your record. And he considers you right because of that. But in response to what Christ has done for you, come afresh to God, commit afresh that in response to God's glorious grace, in response to all Christ has done, that you'll live wholeheartedly for him, that you'll commit to living out God's will in your life, not as a way of getting right with God, but as a response to his overflowing love for you. Or maybe for you, it's just that you feel overwhelmed at the moment, life is difficult, financial problems, maybe health problems, mental health problems, maybe family life is crazy, you feel exhausted, work is difficult, whatever it might be, you feel like you're not really going for God or able to connect with God in any way. Well, for you as well, hold on to the gospel. Not every season in life is an easy season. And remember what Jesus said in his first sermon. Do you remember he quoted from Isaiah 61 and he said, I've come to bind up the brokenhearted. 
amongst other things. Well, maybe God wants to bind up some of the brokenhearted amongst us today and just encourage us in this season to keep looking to Christ, keep holding on to the gospel, to keep going, even in the midst of difficulties. So hold on to the gospel, and we'll move on in the passage. We've, we've already seen that this Jerusalem council strongly affirm salvation is by God's grace and is accepted simply by faith, that circumcision and the law of Moses don't have a part in it. But then they say some slightly puzzling words, I think. At least I found them a bit puzzling when I read them first. And you'll see James in verse 20 says this. Uh, he says, first, it's my judgment. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. But then he says, instead, we should write to them. Just have a glance down at it. Telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Now, what's James talking about here? It's a bit perplexing, I think. Well, notice he gives four instructions, doesn't he, in verse 20. He says the Gentiles should abstain from food polluted by idols. They should abstain from sexual immorality. They should abstain from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. James proposes those points, and then they're affirmed by the whole council, if you read later on. And there are a couple of different views about what the council are meaning with this, but one of the, one of the main interpretations is that all of these four elements refer to particular aspects of the Old Testament law, particularly those contained in Leviticus 17 to 19. And those chapters, and you can look them up afterwards, contain a lot of detail on food laws, clean and unclean food, on uh, prohibitions on the eating of blood, uh, lots of rules regarding sexual ethics. And they were given by God to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And the interpreters say that um, what the Gentile Christians in Antioch are being encouraged to do here is not to obey these laws somehow as a semi-skimmed version of the law to be right before God, but they're just being encouraged to take them into account because of the presence of Jewish Christians in their fellowship who are still sensitive in their consciences to those things. In other words, the Gentile Christians are being said, uh, are being told, you have liberty, but just trim your liberty a little bit in terms of what you eat and, of course, in living a sexually pure life so as not to offend the, the Jewish believers in your church, who still have a particular pricked conscience uh, uh, about the food laws, for example. So it wasn't about the Gentiles, as I say, being encouraged to obey the law so as to be saved, but just take it into account so there's harmony in your church. And for us, I think this really can apply in a very helpful way. And we're being encouraged more or less to be gracious to one another. We've already seen we're to hold on to the gospel now we're to be gracious to one another. And there are many ways I think this can apply here at Christ City Church. Firstly, let's recognize we have many differences. In Acts 15, you can see that the council didn't pretend that all of the believers in the church in Antioch were exactly the same. They recognized there were Jewish background Christians who had sensitivities about certain things. There were Gentiles who were coming from a different space. And those differences needed to be recognized and needed to be worked through and I think it's wonderful, isn't it, that there are people of so many different backgrounds and nationalities here 
uh, in the church. As I was preparing for my notes, I even made a little list of some of the different nationalities here. I think we're gloriously mixed. We're from different backgrounds. We have different interests, different stages of life, different personalities. And that's a glorious picture, isn't it, of the, uh, of the multifaceted nature of the church of Jesus Christ. And if you've read through to the end of the Bible, as I, I'm sure many of us have, you'll read that great picture of people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language all gathered before the throne. And it's wonderful that we have some of that here, Sunday by Sunday, as we gather united in Christ. So there are differences in our church. Let's recognize that. Let's celebrate that as part of the uh, good, multifaceted nature of the church of Christ. And then secondly, flowing on from that, let's be prepared to accept things that are important to fellow believers even if they're not quite so important to us. Let's accept things that are important to fellow believers, even if they're not quite so important to us. This is essentially what the Gentile Christians were being encouraged to do in Antioch, wasn't it? They didn't have particular conscience issues about food laws necessarily, but because some of their fellow believers did, they were told to take that into account. And there might be some areas where we think, ah, you know, that matter isn't so important, but it's important to some of our brothers and sisters, so let's be respectful. Let's take it into account. And how might this work out in our church? Well, it might be in terms of secondary theological issues. Uh, You could say that the issue of food laws was a kind of secondary theological issue for the church in Antioch, where they made provision to make sure that that didn't become a divisive thing in the church. And there'll be secondary theological issues that People here disagree about, but I think we should try and make sure that we disagree well, in love, we listen to one another, we don't condemn one another, we preserve unity, we stay united around the mission of the church. And this is easier to say than to do, and sadly, if you look back in Christian history, you'll find countless examples of Christians dividing over very small issues, of even being violent towards one another, even to the point of killing one another over secondary issues, and you'll find examples of uh, all kinds of bitterness and and wrangling. So I think this is an important thing for us to hear. We're not to be people like that. We're to bear with differences between one another. Or maybe other things in the church are just not your preference and might annoy you in some way. Maybe you think, ah, the music is far too traditional. Or maybe you think, ah, it's far too contemporary or you think the sermons are far too long, or maybe some of you think they're far too short. I don't know how many people think that. Maybe some of you do. Or maybe some of you think, oh, I'd love a much more formal service, and there are others who think this this service is so formal, I wish it could loosen up a bit. We'll all have different tastes and preferences about these things, and there's a place to discuss them respectfully. But maybe the best thing to do, like those Gentile Christians were encouraged to do, is to accept those things, because they're important to others in the church, because they're important for the sake of unity, and because they serve the mission of the church in what it's doing. And I like what Augustine, uh, the great North African Christian teacher, said when he put it in a very pithy way like this. He said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. I think that's a very good spirit to have. So as we draw things together, two main points from this passage. Let's hold on to the gospel and let's be gracious 
to one another. We need to be people who do both. And there are many Christians who hold on to the gospel, but are horrible to be around and are very harsh to their fellow believers. And then there are other Christians who are very loving, but they've chucked the gospel overboard and they're really not holding on to it at all. We need to do both things. We need to be like those Christians in Acts 15, holding on to the great gospel and wonderfully gracious to one another as well. Amen. It's great to be fed and uh, have the word explained so clearly, but it's so applicable as well, isn't it? To be fed by God's word and nourished by his spirit. Uh, let me pray. Father, we see this, uh, this passage, we read this passage, and uh, we thank you for those two great takeaways, to hold on to the gospel of grace and to be gracious to one another. So we pray as we reflect on this and as we sing uh, your truths to our hearts and to one another now, that we would come away from today holding on more truly to the gospel of grace, never adding anything to Jesus, whether it be a, f- a failure in our past, a failure in our present, difficult seasons in our present, that we might never feel that we are um, a disqualified or have to add anything. If we are trusting in Jesus, we have a perfect record, and we thank you for that. Make us a church that holds on to the gospel. And we pray, too, that we'd be gracious to one another, not just holding on to truth, but being respectful and sensitive and recognizing and accommodating to preferences and theological issues that are secondary and where we differ. And may we celebrate that diversity amongst us, that which we are so grateful for. That could, Lord, as we, as we look at one another today, we, this could only be because of Jesus. Uh, and that we're united in him. And so we thank you for those differences. And uh, we pray we cherish them and be sensitive to them. In Jesus' name, amen.